Hey, and welcome to the Aloha Church Podcast. We believe that full life is found in Jesus. And after this message, if you have any questions, please engage with us over social media or connect with us on a Sunday morning. We so hope you enjoy this message. Welcome to Aloha Church, you guys. I'm so glad to be here with you. Uh, my name is Trish. I'm Pastor Drew's wife. I'm especially glad because the last few weeks I've been in the Grom's ministry, which if you don't know what a Grom is, it's a child. I've been in the kids' ministry. We've been having a fun time. These kids are hilarious. Let's see. What did we do? We have uh, played the limbo, done the limbo. I introduced that to them. You're welcome. We made a huge fort the entire size of the room. We We went on an observation walk, which is pretty funny because an observation walk at a high school campus can lead to some interesting questions. (laughs) Oh, that must have been a funny time for the parents that Sunday. We do do some Bible stuff too, I assure you. Uh, We recently talked about Daniel in the lion's den, um, and their comments on that story were really impressive. Uh, But Last week, I sat them all down for circle time. We usually do like an icebreaker and do the Bible verse and, you know, all the Sunday school stuff. So I sat them down and I said, kids, kids, what does Christmas make you think of? And there were a lot of answers to this question. Lots of funny answers, lots of good answers. But one of the kids, one of your genius children said, Christmas is about Jesus' birth. Yes, yes it is. Um, And Jesus' birth came after 400 years of silence because God was mad. And I was like, whoa, kid. Okay. All right. That is a great answer whose name will remain unnamed. The kids went on to talk about their other, like some other things, but it actually got me curious. I researched a little bit, pulled out my phone. Siri, what is the 400 years of silence? Siri had a lot of answers to this. So right smack dab, right in the middle of the Old Testament and the New Testament is 400 years of silence. God is angry. He speaks through his prophet Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, and then we don't hear from him. He doesn't speak He's angry. And I thought, what an interesting thought that God was so mad that he'd give his people the cold shoulder. I mean, when Drew and I first got married, I could give a really mean cold shoulder. (laughs) Like, my family, I never saw my parents fight. So if Drew and I disagreed, it was hard for me to communicate my voice. So I didn't. And I just gave him the cold shoulder. Um... But I'm guessing that God's cold shoulder is a little bit different than mine. My cold shoulder, I was plotting revenge. Oh, okay, this is what I'm going to do. He's talking to me again. I can't believe he's even talking to me again. How dare him? I'm guessing that's not what God was doing. In fact, what he was doing was he was working on a plan. And the plan was Jesus. Super simple. It was Jesus. It was his rescue plan for the world. So he was angry and he thought, this isn't working anymore. We're going to need a better plan. I'm sure you already had that. You know what I'm talking about. Okay, so if you've heard the story of Jesus's birth, you may have had one of two reactions. One, you may be like, oh, it's filling me with warmth and wonder, and I love this story, and it's so compelling. The other answer, which is probably a more common answer, is, yeah, I've heard it before, Jesus in manger, I got it. 
So today, I'm praying that the timing of Jesus' birth would come alive in new ways, that God would open up the curtain on heaven's details, because there's so much we probably don't know about this story. I pray that all of our senses would be involved in this moment, there in Bethlehem, at the height of Rome's power, there with Jesus and all the others. But first, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father... Thank you for this word, your word. I pray that you would protect us from being too familiar with it. Open our eyes anew, tickle our ears, make our hearts beat and pound with the truth of the gospel. And we ask this in Jesus' name, A.M. May, I mean, amen. <laughs> or amen. Or am. Amen in the A.M. Okay. I feel like that was a Drew joke. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> the year is approximately 4 BC, and Rome is buzzing with power. It's the most powerful empire in the whole world. It encompasses more land than any other nation. It's amassed more influence, more riches. And this is the setting of Jesus' birth. As with every good story, timing is crucial. The author of our story, God, has, I will say, impeccable timing. Not like myself. I'm late to a lot of things. God has impeccable timing. He's neither early nor late. He is right on time. There's no greater example of God's timing than in the story of Jesus. Shall we? We shall. Had Jesus' birth been either a little early or a little late, Old Testament prophecies would never have been fulfilled. Let's look at Galatians 4.4 up on the screen for your convenience. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. That line, the fullness of time, is an important one. So hold on to it. Put it in your pocket. Everyone remembers that Christ was born in the little city of... Bethlehem, which he prophesied, which he was prophesied to be born 700 years earlier by the prophet Micah. So that was a fulfillment to prophecy. But hello, Mary and Joseph were all the way in Nazareth when she was big and pregnant, right? We've got a lot of big and pregnant ladies around here. And we know that births cannot be predicted. Ask Joel and Darsha, who baby Barbie was born one month early, right? God's timing. God's perfect timing. So how is God going to get Mary and Joseph all the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem? There's no Southwest Airlines. There's no red eye. There's no train. There's no cars, right? So this is where the Jesus story gets good. <clears throat> There's hundreds of variables in a story like this. So many, so many prophecies. It could only be the hand of God to fulfill prophecy and get Mary and Joseph hundreds of miles to Bethlehem, and this is how he does it. Into our story walks our villain, Caesar Augustus. Pardon me if I'm talking to you like I'm talking to my children. I like to feel like the Bible's coming alive to them. Just don't roll your eyes at me like they do, okay? All right. Into our story walks a villain, Caesar Augustus. Every story needs a good villain, right? 
So here's where timing and evil characters collide. Julius Caesar is assassinated and his nephew through trickery becomes the emperor, um, becomes Caesar. Augustus quickly gains power and influence and his arrogance grows. And what he wants to do is tear down all of Julius's monuments and he wants to um, uh, make monuments to himself, right? But how would he do this? The only way that he could get the money to make monuments to himself is through taxing the people. Ah, it's all coming together, isn't it? So remember the verse, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. He taxed the whole world in order to build pretty statues and monuments in his own name. Research it. Look it up for yourself. Don't take my word for it. So keep in mind, God's perfect timing Julius Caesar was assassinated. His nephew becomes ruler. His nephew wants to make a name for himself. He gets rid of Julius's statues, and he needs, the people, he needs to tax the people to do this. So how do you think that order was carried out? He sends a Roman centurion to the harbor to book passage on a ship. The ship, how does it travel? By wind. If the winds blew any stronger, the ship would have got there too early. If the winds had blown any weaker, the ship would have got there later. Do you guys see where I'm going with this? then Jesus would not have been born in Bethlehem. And it would have affected the entire timing of the birth of Christ. Just a simple ship. So the events moving towards the birth of Christ were like the gears in a grandfather clock. I don't know how to represent gears. <laughs> Little gears, big gears. They all had to pit, fit perfectly for the hands of God's clock to point to Bethlehem at the hour of Christ's birth. So we can be very sure in God's timing for our lives. The timing of Jesus' birth fulfilled prophecy. Interesting note. The Old Testament contains about 300 prophecies. Uh, most of them were fulfilled by Jesus' birth. The odds of one person fulfilling eight prophecies is one trillion and one. Did I say that one? That right? The odds of one person fulfilling just eight of these prophecies are one trillion to one. It's a lot. It's almost impossible. All of this required perfect timing. The events had to happen at the right time to fulfill the prophecies. Too late, too early would invalidate them. God is never late. He brings it all about in the perfect timing. Let's take a look, shall we? Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has made everything to suit its time. And in Romans 5.6, Paul points out, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. So this wraps up our point one, which was, Timeliness is required by prophecy, establishing Christ's credentials and proving how reliable God is. If you're taking notes, it's on the back of your handout. So let's move to our second big idea, our villain. I love talking about Caesar Augustus. Oh my gosh, villains are hilarious. They're so narcissistic. Okay, so let me tell you, this totally fascinated me, especially for those of you who maybe have villains in your life. So maybe some of this will be like, ooh, 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 oh my gosh, this is like opening some new, some new ideas for me. Um, maybe God is using a villain in your life to unfold something bigger, maybe not in your life, but bigger in the world. Could be, just making a suggestion. 
Look it up yourself. Okay, so we're looking at the Christmas story with fresh eyes. I'm praying that things will come alive to you as they did to me. This was my hope for today, that the Christmas story would be like, woo, lights on. It's not just a baby in a manger. Galatians 4.4 said, When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So God sent Jesus at the perfectly suited time to introduce the gospel. And how, you might ask? Caesar Augustus. The whole civilized earth was governed by one guy, Caesar Augustus. He's probably loving that I'm saying his name so many times right now in this sermon. Okay, so because the world was governed by one dude, the, the, there was nothing preventing, like, so there was like, every, everything was under one power. There was nothing to prevent a pre- preacher, let's say Paul, from going to city to city, country to country. Uh, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome had all proven that the world through its wisdom did not know God. So even with their mighty conquerors, their poets, their historians, their architects, philosophers, the kingdoms of the world were at this time full of darkness and confusion. Does this sound familiar to anyone today? Confusion especially, right? my gosh, what do, I, what do I believe? It was indeed due time for God to send down an almighty Savior, Romans 5, 6. And this is where Caesar Augustus plays a huge role. Because of him, the world at Jesus' birth was characterized by six things. We're going to go through them quickly because I think they're really important. Because it opens your eyes to the story of Jesus like never before of Jesus' birth. So, number one, six things characterized the world At Jesus' birth, number one, worldwide citizenship, worldwide language, worldwide transportation, worldwide peace, worldwide moral decline, worldwide expectancy. I'm going to do that again. It was literally the perfect environment to spread the gospel and quick. So let's talk about these, okay? First, God picked a time when there was global citizenship. So Paul used his citizenship to get released from jail keep from being punished, preach to the largest crowd of the ancient world on the steps of the Antonian fortress in Jerusalem. Some say it was 50 to 75,000 people, all because he had Roman citizenship. Okay? Number two, our second characteristic of the world at Jesus' birth. Second, God picked a time when there was global language. So there was a global language, there was no language barriers, and in one generation, the world was preached the whole gospel. Number three, God picked a time when there was global transportation. Our villain, (laughs) Augustus, opened up trade routes throughout the world for easier access. So without this traffic around the world, um, like our early fathers of the faith, Paul, and the disciples could not have advanced the gospel like they did. Paul alone traveled 15,000 miles. Um, by land and water. Number four, God picked a time when there was global peace. Caesar Augustus ruled in a time of peace, which primed the hearts of the people for the gospel. Number five, God picked a time when there was worldwide moral decline. So get this, according to descriptions of Roman manuscripts, that's the only thing we have to go on to research the history of what the world was like. Many of them are drawings. But according to these manuscripts of the time, um, it depicts the upper class as very filthy 
and vulgar. So we know that corruption filled the aristocracy and also like the highest state officials. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Corruption filled the world, the lower classes. So corruption at the high classes and then the lower classes as well just sunk equally as low. Manuscripts describe the moral sinking of the whole civilized world. It was like a death virus. But it was different for the middle class. And I wonder, could it have been? Could it have anything to do with the Israelites? I don't know, maybe. Let's look at it a little bit. Manuscripts say that there was a, still a lot of morality that the people in the middle class were holding on to. There was like religious feelings, which brings us full circle to the 400 years of silence and what the Israelites must have been feeling, right? So they're the chosen people. God spoke to them 400 years ago, ago through Malachi, and he hadn't said anything since. So I'm guessing their morale was really low. Just a guess. I'm guessing many of them had possibly lost hope. I'm sure there was despair in the world, especially if it was indeed very sinful. Which brings us to the sixth and final thing on this list, which is God picked a time when there was global expectancy. Say expectancy. It's fun to say. So for so long, man had focused on power and wealth, architecture, religion. This was like for the first time in the world, these things were all happening. It could have been very exciting for them. But in the end, most found that those things were inwardly bankrupt. It left them bankrupt inside. Sound familiar? Okay. Much of the world was in despair. And out of this darkness is a strange expectancy that the night will be conquered by the light because the silence was broken. Because there in that perfectly timed moment of the world, at last, coming from Bethlehem, from the rising of the sun, from the mouth of simple shepherd witnesses, rings a world-conquering proclamation, Christ, the Savior of all sinners, the one by Israel, the one unconsciously desired by the peoples of the world, he has come. Woo! Right? So God picked a time where there was global readiness. The world was aching for a savior. It was not a coincidence. It isn't just a little animated story. This is like the climax of God's story. Okay? Our second point, God sent Jesus at a time when the gospel could spread quickly and efficiently around the world because of our villain, because of the government set up by Caesar. Can you see the impeccable timing of it? I'm sure you guys are, are getting it. It's like literally just everything had to fit into place. You couldn't have done it better yourself. Not the most intelligent being here on earth could have done it themselves. It's so much richer than just the nativity scene that we see in people's yards. Think about it. When you think of Jesus' birth, a lot of times we just think of that little cozy little manger surrounded by cute animals with Joseph and Mary holding a baby, right? Maybe some shepherds and angels if it's elaborate nativity. But let's you and I take a look at this nativity a little bit closer. 
Take off your rose-colored glasses. The view that you've had since you were a child, thanks to Sunday school, is fine. Recognize, recognize now in our adult hearts the loneliness and the fear of Joseph and Mary. They're being taxed. Caesar had just said he wants to kill some newborn sons. So the destitution that Jesus was born into was so real. He was born into a feeding trough. Smell it. Can you smell the nastiness, the germs in the air? No mother would ever give birth in that situation, right? See the cold animals. And this is where it gets really good. Oh, this, we're just picking it up because the animals in the nativity, they represent the Old Testament sacrificial systems. The animals are the ones that were going to be sacrificed for the Israelites' sins. So the shepherds in Jesus' story weren't just watching over any old sheep. They were watching over the sheep that were going to bring cleanliness for sin. So this is like a yet another uncovered clue in God's story as Jesus being the sacrificial lamb for us. So what I find amazing after looking at the Christmas story is these shepherds. Oh man, I resonate with these shepherds so much. The shepherds were the first to get the good news. What are these shepherds like? Hmm, let's think about it. Shepherds were like out of the flow of Jerusalem life. They like had no idea what was going on on Instagram. They were like bachelor in Jerusalem. I have no idea who the latest candidates are. Um, <laughs> I stretched. That was a stretch. Okay. Their profession made them unclean and unfit for temple, uh, like for temple entrance. So they didn't visit temple. They touched dead animals that made them society's outcasts. So think of the picture that Luke gives us in the, in the verse that Kim just read. The verse is, shepherd, man, shepherd men who watched the lambs that would be served as a substitute for sins who themselves were far from access to the temple of God were the first to be invited to see the Savior. Is this resonating in your heart at all? This was profound for me. God's perfectly timed plan gave access to God for everyone, point three. One of the most important points in the entire world of preaching. Not just the Jews, but God's perfect rescue plan gave access to everyone for salvation. The Gentiles, the Jews, everybody. We would have been considered Gentiles. If only they believed in Jesus, Jesus' death and resurrection. So, This inclusion plan by Jesus is indicated by the fact that poor, outcast shepherds were the first to see Jesus. It's indicated in the poverty of Jesus' birth. This inclusion plan uh, indicated uh, that Jesus was born into a... He wasn't born into a palace with pomp and circumstance, right? He could have been, but he wasn't. He was born into humiliation and deprivation in the first seconds of his life. So God shows us a matchless display of grace in stooping to serve us for our salvation, sending his son to a lowly place. 
Is this making sense with you guys? He doesn't separate himself from us by his bigness. He doesn't separate himself from us by his riches. He doesn't separate himself from us by his mysteriousness. No, he comes and he gets down low on our level and he sends his son to a manger, to the lowest of the low because he's just like a, a, a parent does to a child. Tell me what you're thinking. You matter to me. So in that, God says, everyone matters. Everyone matters to me. He could have been ushered in by angels. He could have sat on a royal throne. He could have had everything that he wanted because that's what he deserves. That's what he's typically used to. Nope. He was born in such a way that even the little fictional drummer boy could relate to him and say, I'm just a poor boy too, Jesus. I'm just a poor boy too. Look at you and me. So God is showing us just how far he'll go to save us. He'll give us his son, his only son, and send him into the world without fanfare. Jesus didn't experience the acknowledgement that he deserved. God sent him in a manner to be underestimated, to be marginalized, to experience deprivation for you and for me, and that is how far God is ready to go. So if you're sitting there and you feel all the things that the earth makes you feel, all of this, this, everything, know that Jesus experienced it too. And he did it because of God's plan. Because God wanted to say, I know I feel you. And you matter and tell me about it. It's breathtaking. It's breathtaking. God stoops low to, to save the downcast world. So you and so I could have access to him for all time. And the greatest part about this is that we don't gain access to God by something we do. Oh, praise the Lord, let the church bells ring that I don't have to perform anymore in my life, right? Thank you, Lord, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to succeed. I don't have to, blah, I don't have to be better. I don't have to be enough. I don't have to be, 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 be anything. This is huge news. All the layers of all the other religions, after they're peeled back, every other religion is boiled down to be good and maybe you can be accepted by God. In almost every book, what is celebrated? Some great feast. Feet, not feast. Some great quest that somebody performs, rather. But in God's rescue plan, there's no great quest that we perform. It is all about the great quest that God and that Jesus performs. There's no pilgrimage on our end. It's not about our great deed. It's about God and how he's doing and what he's doing to make us right with him. So in the fullness of time, God will declare us right with him. It's not, make, it's not about us making ourselves right with God. So in this story, we see how radical and completely unexpected is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It came in the perfect time. It came in the perfect manner. It's proof that God rescued us in order to spend eternity with him in heaven. We do nothing. He does it all. We simply believe in the rescue plan. Eternity with God is the big epic finale in this story, yes? The birth of Jesus 
is the big scene. The death of Jesus is the bigger scene. And it's all so we can have access to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God for eternity. So do you believe this good news? Yeah? Do you believe it? Can you guys relate to the shepherds? Feeling a little uninvited, feeling a little outcast by whatever group of people you're with. Um, I know I can't, unwanted. Can you relate to the little drummer boy? Drummer boy, poor. Poor this season, yes. I have no gifts to bring you, Jesus. I'm just a poor little drummer boy. You maybe feel like you, you have nothing to offer, or maybe even where would you start to offer God something for your life? Thank goodness we don't have to offer him anything. God is giving us an invitation like he did with the shepherds. When the whole heavens opened up to this group of shepherds and said, glory to God in the highest, the shepherds saw the heavens open. They saw it. That is so compelling to me. God spoke first for one of the first times in 400 years to little old shepherds cut off from society because he was showing us that people like them matter to him. So, you guys want a fresh wave of encouragement this morning? Maybe a fresh, fresh like, reminder that you matter to God. Maybe you need just a new outlook for your life, or maybe you need a new outlook on Jesus. It's the start to a new outlook on your life. Hello? Maybe there's a villain in your life. Maybe, you, you, we, maybe we should pray for him or her. I invite you to come and pray and see what God does. I'm going to bring up the band. I'm going to bring up the prayer team. We've had some incredible breakthroughs in prayer recently. I'm not going to tell you what they are. They're private to most people. But if you're sitting there and you're wanting some fresh encouragement, a breakthrough, maybe you're at your lowest, come and get prayer. If this is the first time you're even hearing of Jesus and his birth and God's rescue plan, and maybe you're saying, I believe, I kind of believe. I think maybe I believe. Maybe I'm there. I'm going to pray for you because this is is quite literally the most important decision you'll ever make of your life if you believe this story. And it is the greatest news of all time. It's the answer to all of our problems, that we have access to God and heaven for eternity. It's not much, doesn't get much better than that. So if you are choosing, I'm going to have you guys close your eyes, and if you're choosing to be a part of God's story today, maybe say this prayer with me. Lord, wow, you're, you are a great God. Thank you for opening up my eyes. I'm beginning to see it now, but reveal more to me because I want to know more. I now confess with my heart, you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me, to rise on the third day, and I'm going to believe through faith. Maybe I don't feel it, but I am going to believe through faith by grace that I will be accepted into your family and that's through no work of my own, but through your work in my life. Amen. I love you guys so much. I pray that this story may be landed in your hearts. I would love to pray for you. Our prayer team would love to pray for you. Let's stand. We're going to sing a little bit more, and uh, after that, eat a little bit. You've been listening to the Aloha Church Podcast. If you want to learn more about living free in Jesus, please reach out to us. 
We hope God spoke something wonderful and life-giving to you today. Until next time, lots of love and aloha. Aloha.